everyone, today we're gonna get to a topic which is not finance but traveling. I think that sometimes in life, uh, there's some point that we feel really tired, we feel burned out, and therefore I think that this podcast is gonna help you to relax a little bit. Although I highly recommend you to watch his full videos to enjoy the scene and the outstanding scene of uh, Europe and the places. But uh, if you don't have time and if you just, just want to enjoy a little bit, you know, turn a postcard and chill, then hopefully this postcard episode will be helpful for you to chill out. And today we're gonna visit uh, Europe with Germany. So this place that uh, I'm gonna tell to you is about Saxony and uh, I'm reading his transcript of his video. So this time we're in Saxony, the great cities of Dresden and Leipzig is Eastern Germany and you are in some of the most monumental travel experiences. And Saxony is a proud region of German with a long and rich history. Its two leading cities are Leipzig and Dresden. Each has a tough 20th century history and today we are coming back with a special vibrancy. So, in this episode, we will visit two great German cities, bombed and then rebuilt after World War II, after visiting a beloved church that rose from those 1945 ashes, we'll go further back in time and brush up on some Saxony history with its royal palaces and the porcelain, jewels and armor, we will ponder a massive war memorial from the time of Napoleon. Then, after peeking into a secret police headquarters, we will recall how people power brought down communism and see how people today are enjoying their freedom. So after World War II, Germany was divided by the Iron Curtain into the Free West and Communist East with the fall of communism in 1984. Of night, Germany was reunited in historic region of Saxony. We'll tour Dresden and Leipzig, and we will start in Dresden with fanciful Baroque architecture and some of the best museum going in all of Germany. It's a city that mixes a dynamic history with a delightful to stroll cityscape. At the peak of its power in 18th century, this wealthy capital of Saxony ruled much of eastern Germany from the banks of Elbe River. Saxony, greatest ruler, was Augustus the Strong. To embellish his capital, he imported artists from all over Europe, especially from Italy. Dresden grand architecture and dedication to the arts earned its nickname Florence of the Alps. In spite of its resurgence, Dresden is still known for its destruction in World War II. American and British plans five bombed the city on the night of February 15, 1945. The bombing was so fierce it created its own climate, a free storm. More than 25 million people were killed in just one night and 70% of the historical century were destroyed. Memorials, why understated, remember the horror of war. This simple inscription recalls that after the air raids, the bodies of 6,865 people killed in the bombing were burned on this spot. 
For 40 years, through the Cold War, Dresden was part of Communist East Germany. It was in what was called the Valley of the Coolest, one of the only places in East Germany that didn't get Western television. Under the Communists, Dresden restored some of its damaged buildings, left others in ruins, and replaced many with modern utilitarian sprawl. Parker Street, a bomb out ruins until the 1960s, was rebuilt as a showcase of for communist ideals. Its vast, uniform apartment blocks could step up the boulevard to this day. The design is typical to Soviet bloc architecture from Moscow to Bucharest. Today, after a thorough update, they are become desirable places to live. After German reunification, the rebuilding of Dresden accelerated. The transformation has been impressive, and the city's once devastated historic center has been reconstructed. The Church of Our Lady is a symbol and soul of the city. When completed in 1743, it was German tallest Protestant church. Then, in February of 1945, after the city was bombed in the last months of the war, it collapsed. For a generation, it lay there a pile of rubble. Then Dresdener decided to rebuild it completely and painstakingly. With the help of international donations, Dresden Most Beloved Church was rebuilt and finally reopened to the public in 2005. Stepping inside, you are struck by the shape, not so wide but very tall. The color scheme is pastel to emphasize the joy of faith and enhance the uplifting atmosphere of the service held there. The curves help create a feeling of community. It's a Lutheran church, but built at the peak of the Baroque period. It seems the artistic style of the age trumped the Lutheran taste for simplicity. The church twisted across, we fell 300 feet from the tip of the dome, and burned in the rubble, caps an inspirational story. Climbing to the top of the beautifully reconstructed dome, you are rewarded with a commanding view over Dresden and its river. The rebirth of the cities is evident everywhere. This central square was once ringed by the homes of rich merchants. It's once again the heart of the city, alive with people and cafes. Dresden's delightful turrets were originally a defensive rampart. Today, it's a welcoming promenade overlooking the Alps. Its nickname. The balcony of Europe, and a fleet of 19th-century paddleboats tempts visitors for a lazy river cruise. Getting around the city by tram is easy, and a quick ride over the river takes us into a lively district called Neustadt, or the New Town. It's inviting and tree-lined main drag. Opened in 1979, it was a showpiece of communist. Urban design, a landscape utopian workers' district filled with affordable apartments and the best shops. Because the World War II bombs 
miss most of this district, the new town has a retro charm. This new world area has emerged as a city trendy people zone. Passages between apartment flats are enlivened by art galleries, cozy pubs, and crazy decorations. While the new town boasts no great size, it's fun to explore, especially after dark. The Parade of Nobles is a mural painted on 24,000 tiles of local porcelain. It was built to suit the pride of Saxony after it was incorporated into the newly formed country of Germany in 1970s. It celebrates Dresden's Saxon heritage and its wedding family dynasty. The artists carefully study armor and clothing, accurately tracing the evolution of weaponry and fashions through the centuries. Way up at the very front of the parade, an announcer with a band and 12th-century cheerleaders excitedly harass the arrival of this wondrous procession. They are commoners, from miners and farmers to carpenters and students, and ahead of them, the royals with 35 names and dates, making 700, making 700 700 years of Wharton family root. At the years of 1694, stand Agatha the Strong, the most important of the Saxon kings. The Saxon ruler was one of the most powerful people in Germany. He was one of a handful of nobles who elected the Holy Roman Emperor. In the 19th century, the larger-than-life Agatha the Strong kicked off Saxony's golden age. His royal festival complex, called Windsor, is an example of how the king's extravagance makes Dresden a European capital of culture. Here at the Nimes Bart, aristocrats relax with royals among cascading waterfalls. Today, Windsor is filled with fine museums. The mathematics and physics salon features scientific gadgets from the 16th to 19th century finely crafted and incorporating new discoveries with exuberance the instruments are displayed like dazzling works of art. Imagine whipping out your pocket sandal in the year of 1700 and a newfangled pocket watch in 1760 and a risk painting. This calculator from 1650, claiming to be the oldest surviving mechanical calculator, could carry the tents. European royal families aspired to have their own porcelain works and the Wetton family had one of the best. A nearby mason, in those days, a king portrayed in porcelain was a happy king. Agatus the Strong was obsessed with this stuff. He liked to say he had porcelain sickness. Here you can enjoy some of his symptoms. Under chandeliers in elegant galleries, you will see fine table settings. He had a veritable porcelain zoo of exotic animals and beautiful birds. According to legend, for 151 of these Chinese verses, Agatus traded 600 soldiers complete with horses to Prussia. And here at Winger, it just makes sense that the glockenzell comes with 40 bells made of mason porcelain. The delightful chimes are far sweeter than your typical bell. 
In the nearby royal palace, the official residence of Saxon rulers since 1485 is Dresden Historic Green Vault. This glittering Baroque treasure collection is a sightseeing highlight of the city. The collection was begun by Agatus the Strong, featured here surrounded by ancient Roman emperors on the base of an obelisk. It grew into the royal family's exquisite trove of ivory, silver, and gold treasures displayed in rooms as opulent as the collection itself. Its purpose? A synthesis of art as an expression of wealth and absolute power. The Amban cabinet shows up what you can do with fossilized tree sap. For example, this exquisite bowl from 1659. The ivory room does the same for elephant tusk with some strikingly delicate carving. In this amazing ivory frigate, tiny sailors climb the gold ride rigging, all supported by Neptune and his horses. In the aptly named Hall of Precious Subjects, amid Mother of Earth, ostrich egg, a snail shell goblet, it's the ultimate coffee service. This golden coffee service from 1700, a pure gold eye with enamel crusted with thousands of precious stones and crowned by a coffee pot filled with symbolism. Coffee was exotic and trendy back then, and this extravagant centerpiece, while never actually used to serve coffee, certainly made an impression. This captivating example depicts a grand mogul on his birthday. He ruled India when Agatus ruled Saxony, and among Earth rulers, he was the embodiment of absolute power and endless wealth. Like royal Legos on a silver stage, the figures, made of gold and glazed with enamel, were movable for the king's pleasure. And the final, in a place all its own, is this dazzling green diamond, one of the largest ever discovered. The adjacent royal armory fills a long room with centuries-old armor, the biggest space in the palace. This room was the scene of medieval war games. Today, its exhibits of jostling models recall those breathtaking pageants of the 16th century. Back then, jousting was something rich guys did where there was no war to fight. The collection offers an unusual chance to see armor not standing at attention but displayed in actions. This example, designed for formal parades, not actual battle, is considered the prize of the collection, and the little princes needed their armor as well. Connecting German towns is easy this day on the country's five train system, and after a relaxing hour or two on the train, we arrive in Leipzig. Leipzig once had the cobblestone charm of many other German cities, but long a leading trade center in the late 19th century, city leaders decided to modernize. They replaced a quaint medieval townscape with a grid of grain and efficient buildings dedicated to trade and commerce. World War II bombs destroyed much of Leipzig, and the communists followed that with four decades of neglect. What left the town center a dreary, a dreary urban wasteland? 
But in the generations since 1989, the people of Leipzig have dramatically remade the city. Akutas Platz is a busy people zone and a hub for the city trams. Overlooking that is the university center, rebuilt in the playful and modern echo of the pre-war buildings that once stood here. Towering high above is a skyscraper built in 1970s. An erection like this was a big deal in communist times. Locals and tourists alike gather on its rooftop terraces to enjoy a drink and the best view in town. As we rebuilt the city center, one feature that survived was the traditions of inviting shopping galleries that burrowed through office blocks. Some of the galleries retain an old-world elegance with venerable shops and restaurants. Others are playfully decorated by contemporary local artists. Leipzig's Renaissance-style town hall with its fire arcade overlooks the market square. Tonight, the fruit and vegetable merchants have made way for a big open-air concert with music and lots of sausages, crowd and beer. As a traveler, don't be shy. Share a table and strike up a conversation. An event like this is a perfect chance to meet the locals. Leipzig is famous for its music heritage. It was the hometown of the great composer Johann Sebastian Bach, shown here with his favorite instrument, the pipe organ. In the early 1700s, Bach was the organist and chord master right here at St. Thomas Church. Inside, the clean, stripped-down interior reflects the Protestant aesthetic of an uncluttered church. Stained glass celebrates how, in 1533, Martin Luther came here to perform Leipzig's first Protestant service, and how, for near 30 years, Bach directed the boys' corps. Bach tombs, adorned with flowers, is like a pilgrimage site for music lovers. Leipzig remembers its top 20th century with a little whimsy. This statue represents how the East Germany endured two harsh dictatorships in succession, a flat palm hate of the Nazis and the proletarian rates raised feast from the communist era. This poor fellow, repressed by both regimes with his head crunched down, seems to represent individuality under siege. Somehow we'll get through it all. To learn more, step into Leipzig's Contemporary History Forum, which tells the 14, the 44 years old story of communism in East Germany. After the devastations of World War II, the line between East and West was drawn, and Leipzig ended up in Stalin camp. In those desperate post-war years, the stability and security provided East Germany communist government was appreciated. Out of the squalor came a forced uniformity, and if you play by the roots, life was not miserable. Housing was a major priority, as so many were homeless after the war. Locals recall how there wasn't a lot, but people had what they needed. Generally, what they had was their neighbor hats. Children all had the same blocks, books, and curtis-style pets. Western pop music, wide reign in and certainly control, was allowed, from the Beatles 
to Gerald too. But of course, people eventually insist on freedom. To learn more, I'm joined by Blazik tour guide Giza. So, the hated secret police force in Communist East Germany was the Stasi. Its old headquarters now houses a museum dedicated to telling the Stasi dirty deeds. It offers a fascinating look of what it took to control the people. Model after the Soviet Union Secret Service, police, now the notorious KGB, the Stasi recruited over half a million informants from every walk of life. It collected mountains of data on its citizens. The formal offices contained tools of the trade, a small camera that could be concealed in a briefcase, easy to hide microphones, including one hidden in button, disguises, and forged documents. So the Stasi officers would set people on words with a piece of cloth, and the piece of cloth would absorb the smell when the suspect sweated during the interrogations. And then they place the cloths into these jars, preserving the smell. And whenever something suspicious turned up, for example, a leaflet, they brought in the dogs. The dogs smelled the item, then smelled the jar. All mail and packages coming into the country were searched. These machines enable agents to steam letters open, read them, and then reseal them. The Stasi stole millions of West German hard currency sent to struggling East Germans by West German relatives, and they confiscated piles of cassette tapes that contained forbidden West pop music. These cassettes were then reused to record interrogation sections. After freedom, people were free to look at their personal files. Yes. But it was an agonizing decision to make. The Stasi had hundreds and thousands of informants, so they were colleges, friends, family members spying on people, and then it was very difficult to choose. Do I want to know what information the Stasi kept on me, or would I also? I would also find out who spied on me. So you. You could look at your file, but you might find your uncle was informing on you, and maybe you just better not go there. Exactly. Lysik beloved Saint Nicholas Church play a pivotal role in the people's successful fight for freedom. In the 1980s, this venerable church hosted weekly prayer meetings for peace. This turned political, making Saint Nicholas a staging ground for the peaceful revolution that would ultimately topple the communist regime. The column in the church square celebrates the church's contribution to German freedom. Just outside of Leipzig is a gigantic monument to an early struggle. It commemorates a pivotal battles in 1830 that involved forces from all Europe, called the Battle of the Nations. It pitted France's army upon Napoleon against a coalition of Prussian, Austrian, Russian, and Swedish fighters. With half a million soldiers and 100,000 casualties, it was the largest battle in European history until World War One. 
the Battle of the Nations marked the turning point in the fight against Napoleon, he was rooted here and forced to retreat to France. Basically, it was Germans who turned back the French invaders, and exactly a century later, in 1913, during a search of nationalism following the unification of Germany, Leipzig inaugurated this towering memorial on the site of this bloody battle. The Archangel Michael straddles the main door with the same message that accompanies most military monuments. God is on our side. Entering the monument, you stand under a towering atrium. It ringed by more soldiers in front of giant death masks, head respectfully bowed to honor the sacrifice of those lost in battle. Above them, four anonymous statues represent the virtues of the German people during wartime, and high above, in the dome, in the doom, hundreds of life-size soldiers on horses return from battle. It feels religious, but is strikingly secular, a powerful monument to more than a battle. To the power of nationalism and to the fact that war leaves even the winners saddled with grief. Traveling to Saxony with enriched heritage, exquisite culture, and hard lessons, it is an inspira inspiration to see the accomplishments of the people of Dresden and Leipzig. Thanks for traveling with, traveling with us, and until next time, keep on traveling. So thank you you guys for listening to this postcard, and I hope that you have great time traveling with me through this transcript. And if you want to listen more to this, um, please um, 